The following podcast is entirely a work of fan fiction. It is unofficial, unaffiliated, and unauthorised. Neither the podcast, nor any individual involved in its production, is now, nor has ever been, in any way associated with HBO, Game of Thrones, George R. R. Martin, or the Song of Ice and Fire book series. The podcast was, is now, and shall always be entirely without profit. Neither the podcast directly, nor its makers indirectly, generate or receive any form of revenue or financial restitution that might otherwise accrue to the rightful copyright holders. The following podcast is entirely a work of fan fiction. We hope you enjoy it. Jamie approaches Bran's door, a stark soldier flanking him on either side. Theon stands guard. I'd like to speak with him, if you'd be so kind. He's busy. All right. Jamie leans against the wall, delighted by Theon's obvious displeasure at his presence. Theon opens his mouth to speak. It's all right, Theon. I was expecting him. Jamie waves Theon aside, and Theon reluctantly surrenders the door. Jamie's guards, Eric and Aaron, follow him into Bran's chambers, but Bran gives them a nod of dismissal. Thank you. You can leave us. Jamie's guards look at one another dubiously, but in the end accede to Bran's instruction and depart. Jamie, no less surprised at Bran's show of faith in the man that once pushed him from a tower window, accepts Bran's proffered seat across the fireplace from his own. Surely you could find a more dependable aid than a Greyjoy. Dion is not here because he has to be. He's here because he chooses to be. And for the right reasons. There's nothing more dependable than that. Why didn't you tell them what I did? Daenerys was looking for any justification to have me executed. But you didn't give it to her. You and Theon have more in common than you might think. Both despise for breaking their oaths. Both living under a death sentence from a family member. Both missing important appendages, if rumours are to be believed. Both seeking redemption at the end of the world. I'm not here to atone for my sins. Actually, I'm not here for me at all. Bran smiles to himself. This was the right answer. I didn't tell Daenerys for the same reason we're all gathered here to fight a battle we'll almost certainly lose. Because death is so terribly final, while life is full of possibilities. Daenerys stands before the fire, facing her inner circle of Tyrion, Varys, Jorah, Missandei, and Grey Worm arranged before her. I gathered you here because I want to be honest with you all. I want to give each of you the freedom to decide your own path. I am your queen, and I could demand your loyalty. But after everything we've been through together, if I thought I did not have your love, then I know I would not want your service. 
What I'm about to tell you will change everything. And after that will come a time for choosing. Tyrion and Varys and Masande and Grey Worm look to one another for any hint of where this might be going. Jorah studies the floor. My brother Rhaegar did not kidnap and rape Lyanna Stark. They were in love. And after they ran away together, Lyanna gave Rhaegar a son, raised in secret to protect him from Robert Baratheon's wrath. That secret should have died with Ned Stark. The light of realization dawns on Tyrion's face. His gaze settles somewhere off in the distance as he replays and recontextualizes a thousand moments in light of this revelation. Jon Snow. His name is Aegon Targaryen, and he is the true heir to the Iron Throne. Daenerys studies every face in turn, reading their reactions. Vega was married to Elia Martell. That would make John a bastard and exempt from the line of succession. Rhaegar had the marriage annulled and wed Lyanna Stark soon after. Can any of this be proven? The marriage Samuel Tarley had from the diary of the High Septon that performed the ceremony. That John was their issue, only Bran Stark's visions. No king's claim to the throne was ever accepted, nor queen's denied on the basis of visions. Accepting the truly tyrannical, one king is very much like another in the minds of the common folk. They care not how the Game of Thrones is played, but the lords and ladies of Westeros, they have a vested interest in seeing its rules conscientiously upheld, and when the circumstances demand, rigorously enforced. Tyrion stands and begins to pace the room, deep in thought. If today a rightful king is denied his throne, then perhaps tomorrow it is their own entitlement that comes into question. Pull that first thread and all of our old assumptions about power and privilege begin to unravel. How many more joined the rebellion against the Mad King once Robert revealed his distant relation to the Targaryens? How many more switched their allegiance to Stannis Baratheon after he named Cersei's children bastards born of incest? These things matter to the kind of people that assume it's their prerogative to decide as much for everyone else. From the way you spoke, I take it you believe it to be true? More to the point, do you care one way or the other? John is not my enemy. Forgive me, I never meant to imply otherwise. But I will not allow anything or anyone to keep me from realising my destiny and taking back the Iron Throne. Is your destiny so incompatible with John's? Go on. Varys and I met with Sir Davos last night. A marriage between you and John was discussed. You were discussing my marriage? We were acting in your interests and the interests of the Seven Kingdoms. It's precisely the reason you retain us in your service. I had begun to wonder. We thought you'd be pleased. Using Sir Davos's ignorance regarding your infertility to our advantage, we were able to secure the best possible terms, including a public declaration of support from Sansa that will go a long way to forestalling any potential resistance from her northern lords. I really cannot see the issue. The first issue is that while Sir Davos may be ignorant of my infertility, John is not. You didn't tell me your... The second issue is that resistance from the Northern Lords is no longer a concern. Sansa as good as pledged her loyalty to me last night on the battlements. As Arya predicted, Tyrion is not convinced, 
but decides now is definitely not the moment to contradict his queen or her assumptions. I see. Is there a third? Rhaegar was my brother, which makes John my nephew. You're a smart man, so you tell me. Is there a third issue with this grand design you've conceived and executed entirely in my absence? Targaryens went brother to sister for centuries. I hardly see a union between aunt and nephew creating any great scandal. John might not see it that way. And once he learns he is first in the line of succession, he may not be so inclined to share his rule with the second. We won't know for certain until we tell him. Whatever decision each of you reach today, that one is mine and mine alone to make. John will know when I am ready for him to know, and not a moment before. You are going to tell him. You've decided that much. Torgo Nudo, Miss Ande, you've both been very quiet. I haven't followed you all this way because of who your father was, or the strength of your claim. I followed you because I believe in you. You are my queen. Pointedly, Grey Worm levels his gaze at Tyrion. There's nothing more to say. Thank you, both. You've never given me any cause to believe any different. Daenerys joins Grey Worm in regarding Tyrion with a loaded glare. He looks to Varys, and they each attempt to read the other's face for any hint of their inner workings. Varys is the first to crack beneath the weight of the room's expectant silence. I travelled halfway around the world to join your cause, Your Grace. What greater evidence of my commitment could I possibly offer now? Daenerys weighs Varys's words, her eyes narrowing in circumspection. Finally, she nods and turns her focus back to Tyrion. The room turns with her. My counsel is yours, now and always. As is my loyalty, Your Grace. Bran sits in his chair by the fire. Arya enters carrying a bundle of clothes and folded furs and drops them on the cot set up against the wall. It was kind of you to give up your room. It didn't seem right everyone having to share except me. I think Sansa's the only one with a room to herself now. And Daenerys. I'm pretty sure Daenerys hasn't been sleeping alone. You're not going to do anything strange, are you? I'm not going to wake up and find you levitating or speaking in tongues. If I do either, I promise I'll do it quietly. Do three-eyed ravens snore? We haven't shared a room since the summer we both caught red spots and Maester Lewin kept us locked in your room so we wouldn't spread it around the castle. Mother tied those mittens on our hands so we wouldn't scratch. John stood under your window so the two of you could throw a ball back and forth. And you and Sansa wrote letters to each other and posted them under the door. They both smile at the memory. Back then, I thought the worst thing that could happen to me was marrying some lord and having a litter of children, spending my whole life in one place like a rat in a cage. Today, here and now, if I told you I'd seen your future and it was exactly that, would you be satisfied? I'd be happy to know I survived through the next few days. But no, I wouldn't be satisfied. Even after everything you've been through, a quiet life still holds no appeal? A quiet life is no kind of life at all. Have you? Seen my future, I mean. I don't need visions to know your future. Arya furrows her brow, feeling the progress she'd just made in reconnecting with her brother slipping away. 
So this is just who you are now. My brother, the spooky raven boy with three eyes that says strange things that nobody understands. Is this who you are? An emotionless assassin that lives only to exact her revenge? I like to visit the theatre sometimes. Bran turns his head and looks out the window. I used to run across these rooftops every day of my life. I never fell, never so much as tripped. I loved the feeling of being up above everything, seeing the world from a perspective nobody else did. Nobody but the birds. Now I can't run, I can't climb. Only in my visions am I able to pass beyond the limitations of this broken body. But those aren't real, Bran. Not in the way we're real, here, right now. Just because a moment passes does not mean it's no longer real. It still exists, somewhere beyond what we can hear and see and touch. I know how tempting it can be to forget yourself. There's something freeing about leaving who you are behind, making yourself into something different and new, but it's not freedom. Not really. It's a trap. It is beautiful beneath the sea, but if you stay too long, you'll drown. What's that? Something an old friend told me once. You have to remember who you are, always, because you don't belong to just yourself. Mother, father, Rob, Rickon, they all live on with you, but if you die, then another piece of them dies too. I'm more than just this body, Aya. We're all of us more than the face that stares back at us in the mirror. I thought you'd understand that better than anyone. Or no one. Arya is caught off guard by hearing the familiar refrain from an unfamiliar source. She opens her mouth to speak. Come in, Theon. It's time. You might have the room to yourself after all. I do have an awfully long way to go. Here, take these. Arya piles the furs she was carrying onto Bran's lap. Doesn't matter where your mind goes if your body freezes while you're gone. Theon takes control of Bran's chair and wheels him towards the door. Theon? Where were you when Bran and I had red spots? I don't remember. Your father took Rob and I hunting. We spent a week tracking deer halfway to Deepwood Mott. We'd fish and hike through the woods in the day, and at night we'd cook the fish we caught over the fire and sleep under the stars. We never could catch those deer. Why wasn't John with you? He was supposed to be, but when you got sick, he said he'd rather stay behind and keep you company. Arya and Bran share a smile, and Theon wheels Bran from the room. Theon helps Bran from his chair and positions him beside the weirwood tree. Over his head, the face carved into the trunk weeps its red sap. All around them, men busy themselves, cutting down trees, sawing wood, and transporting the lumber away. I remember you leaving on that hunting trip. I watched from the window, and right before you passed through the gates, Father turned and waved up at me. When I think of him, that's what I see. Sitting on his horse, with ice at his belt, and a fur cloak wrapped around his shoulders. He looks bigger than a giant. Whenever I think of your father... I always picture him sitting right here, under this tree. I never knew if he was praying or just enjoying being somewhere so peaceful. Have you ever seen him? In your visions, I mean. Just once, and only for a moment. 
It wasn't what I'd hoped it would be. I wish I could see him. Just one more time. I'd tell him how sorry I was for what I did to his family. If I see him again, I'll make sure he knows. Theon nods gratefully. Bran places his palm against the trunk of the weirwood, and his eyes immediately cloud over. The tension in Daenerys's chambers is palpable, the silence seemingly endless. We need to leave now if we hope to return before the Night King and his army arrive. Tyrion and Varys each silently encourage the other to speak. You can't just leave. We need to decide what comes next. And we will, after I return. Think about what's coming. The world you come back to is going to look very different from the one you're leaving. Which is exactly why we wait. Until then, nobody breathes a word of what was discussed here. Is that clear? Daenerys receives a round of solemn nods from her council, but Tyrion cannot help but feel her command was directed at him most of all. Beneath Winterfell's southern walls, Drogon and Rhaegal hunch low to the ground, waiting and watching as Jon bids his farewells. There aren't many places I'd like less to be than here in the coming hours, but you're setting out to try and find one of them. I'm not sure if I should envy you or pity you. If everything goes to plan, I'll be back before you have to decide. They embrace. John moves on to Sansa. She hugs him tight. Don't be a hero. I'm sure sitting on the back of a dragon makes you feel invincible, but you can still die just as easily as anyone else. I know that better than most, believe me. And you remember Bran's description? Plateau of ice. Surrounded on three sides by mountains, overlooking the sea on the fourth, two hours northwest of the Frostfangs. As the crow flies. It's been a while since anybody called me that. Arya is next in line, but a late arriving Tormund shoulders his way through and lifts John up in a great bear hug. Ha! You'll always be a little crow to me. I have something for you. Tormund hands John a wineskin. John removes the stopper, takes a sniff, and recoils. Fermented goat's milk. The last of my supply. Don't drink it all yourself. Tormund leans in conspiratorially. Share some with your dragon queen. Now at last, John reaches Arya. She jumps into his arms. Don't die. I'll be really angry with you if you die. I'll try my best. John returns his sister to the ground. Ed hands John his sword belt, Longclaw, attached by its scabbard. I gave it a good cleaning. Hurry back, won't you? You're going to miss me. Not as much as I'll miss those dragons if you don't make it back in time. John and Ed embrace. Where's... John is cut off by the arrival of Daenerys and her entourage into the yard. With barely a glance in John's direction, Daenerys passes by and climbs atop Drogon. Only then, settled in her elevated vantage point, does she look at John. Shall we? John looks back at the yard, searching for someone. After a moment, he disappointedly turns and approaches Rhaegal. But before he can embark, a familiar voice calls from the yard. John, wait! 
John grins broadly at the sight of his old friend wombling across the yard, just as he did the first time they met, in the yard of Castle Black. Sam, where have you been hiding? I've hardly seen you. Listen, before you go... Sam opens his mouth to unburden his soul to John, but catches Jorah's eye over John's shoulder. Jorah gives the slightest shake of his head. Sam looks at Daenerys at the exact moment Drogon rears up and casts a long, dark shadow over the two old friends. What is it, Sam? It's nothing that can't wait. Are you certain? The next time we see each other, we'll talk. Promise? Promise. John moves to let go, but Sam holds on. Sam. Sam. Ed steps forward and peels a reluctant Sam away from John. John is about to mount up, but there's one more friend arrived to see him off. John kneels to allow Ghost to lick his face. Be safe, boy. Don't you go chasing dead things now. You hear me? Ghost bares his teeth as Drogon shuffles about to sniff at the direwolf. Drogon bares his own, but Ghost is undaunted. It's alright, boy. He's on our side. Perhaps it's best we get going. Sansa wraps a placating arm around Ghost's neck, and Jon climbs atop his dragon. Valad! Valad! Jorah nods his approval to Sam, but Sam looks away and shuffles with Ed back towards the yard. Sansa ruffles Ghost's fur. I know, boy. I know. Brienne watches as Podrick trains a group of Northmen in the basics of swordsmanship. Frail old men, young boys as green as grass, this is the first time any of them have even held a sword, and for all Podrick's effort, their inexperience is all too plain. Undeterred, Podrick alternatively delivers constructive criticism and words of praise. Brienne smiles to herself. The student has become the teacher. Jamie approaches, his guards Eric and Aaron trailing him like his shadow. Lady Brienne. Sir Jamie. I wanted to thank you for what you said yesterday. There's no need. You pushed back against a queen. That's never a small thing. Daenerys is not your sister. She doesn't punish people just because they disagree with her. Nobody that sits a throne has much patience with dissenting points of view. The gold crown on their head makes that pretty clear, I'd have thought. As does the throne, come to think of it. You're still here, aren't you? She spared your life when she had every reason to feed you to her dragons. Why was that, do you wonder? Brienne opens her mouth to answer, but Jamie preempts her. And don't tell me it's because she has a good heart or a keen sense of justice or any other naive nonsense. She let me live to prove a point, to demonstrate for these northern lords that she isn't her father, that she's capable of showing mercy to even her worst enemy. You can't be serious. <laughs> You're Jamie Lannister, the Kingslayer. If Daenerys mounted your head on a stick and took it on tour, she'd ensure the loyalty of all seven kingdoms for a thousand years. 
Then who was it for? Why did it have to be for anyone? Perhaps Daenerys simply believes in second chances. It's incredible to me that after everything you've seen, you still assume the best in people. I suppose that's naive too. I think it's rather admirable, actually. Taken aback by Jamie's complimentary candour, Brienne is momentarily lost for words. I'm impressed with the preparation she's made, at least. Most of this was Lady Sansa's doing, actually. I may have made a suggestion or two. Jamie looks up along the battlements, his mind turning. Might I make one of my own? The ground north of Winterfell has been cleared and flattened. Everywhere work is going on to prepare the terrain to the army of the living's best advantage. Stone walls are under construction, trenches dug, range markers erected, spikes whittled. Brienne and Jamie, together with Jamie's guards, stand with Raymond besides his half-built chauffeur de frise. He studies a page of parchment in his hands, the design for the scorpion that Braun used against Drogon during the baggage train attack. Can you build it? Pretty straightforward, my lord. Can you do it quickly? I'll start right away, my lady. Good man. Come find me if you have any questions. You can find me by the trail I leave in my wake. Jamie smirks at Eric and Aaron as he and Brienne depart, knowing they're obligated to follow. Tyrion and Varys have Winterfell's great hall all to themselves. They sit on the steps leading to the Lord's table, each lost in their own thoughts. I've been trying to play out every possible scenario in my mind. As with so much these days, there's too much we don't know. Too much that I don't know. So many of the players I was familiar with are gone from the board. King Robert, both of his brothers, Tywin Lannister, Joffrey, the entirety of House Bolton and Tyrell, Ned Stark. Turns out you didn't know Ned Stark as well as you thought. Varys shoots Tyrion a withering look. Not helpful. Sorry. I'm not sure I even understand how the game is played anymore. A master of whisperers depends on a set of rules. It is in the hidden cracks between those rules that a spider spins his webs. With the world overcome with chaos, I find myself with nothing to offer our queen but well-spun old wisdoms that belong to a world which in all likelihood is gone for good. These are extraordinary times. Nobody has all the answers. You have a keen military mind. I imagine it's been rather a long time since you felt superfluous to the needs of Daenerys Stormborn, breaker of chains and mother of dragons. Superfluous. Never. Out of my depth? Occasionally. Unappreciated? Consistently. They exchange a wry grin, but neither is truly amused. We all serve her grace as best we can, according to whatever talents we possess. Miss Sande is her closest friend and confidant, and even queens need one of those. Grey Worm provides her his battlefield expertise. Sir Jorah, the benefits of age and experience. And what does Jon Snow provide? Tyrion arches an eyebrow. Besides that, he provides her the North. For a time, perhaps, but without children to continue his line, the North will eventually revert back to Sansa's line. You promised Sir Davos as much last night. A clear line of succession is essential in winning over support for Daenerys' rule. We both agreed her fertility problems have to remain a secret. 
They do have a habit of piling up, don't they? The contemplative silence returns. It's your turn. Tell me what you've been thinking. I haven't decided what I'm thinking just yet. You really are going to make me be the one to say it, aren't you? Say what? What we're both thinking. Are we making the right choice? Asking that question now is treason. There is no greater treason than a rational man that disregards his own reason. You're talking in rhyme again. You'll realise how obnoxious that is when Bran Stark repeats your own words back at you. You and I are not Jorah Mormont. We are not Grey Worm, nor Missandei. We don't look at Daenerys as though she personally hung the sun and stars in the sky. We chose to follow her because, of those precious few with the means to take power, we believed she would best wield it in service to the realm. I'm simply asking the question, is that still what we believe? Do I believe Jon Snow would be a good king? Yes, I believe he would make an excellent king. He's principled but not inflexible, bold but not intemperate, compassionate but not impractical. He commands respect, makes allies out of enemies, and he understands power not as an end unto itself, but as a means to better serve and protect the powerless. And? And the real question, therefore, is not whether he would sit the Iron Throne well, but whether he would sit it better than Daenerys would. If the answer is yes, then the question becomes whether he would be so much better that it would justify all the misery and bloodshed it would cost to put him there instead of her. I really don't think that convenience should factor into it. Either he's the best choice, or he's not, whatever the cost may be. Including our own heads? Death by dragonfire, more likely. However much you may underestimate your own contributions of late, know that I, for one, have always thoroughly appreciated your slavish devotion to detail. Tyrion stands and begins to pace the floor before Varys. We made a commitment to Daenerys. And that means we are duty-bound to do whatever necessary to secure her rule. Some challenges you dispatch on the battlefield, others by simply keeping secrets. Tyrion stops in front of Varys and looks him dead in the eyes, so Varys understands the gravity of his next words. John must never know the truth. We take it to our graves. Ned Stark did exactly that, and yet here we all are. Whether it's Daenerys' infertility or Jon Snow's true parentage, no secret ever stays as such forever, my friend. Especially those that cause dynasties to rise and fall. A line of wagons, a quarter mile long, stretches away from Winterfell's gates, each wagon laden down with women and children, the old and infirm. Grey Worm walks the line, scanning the faces in each wagon before moving on. With a frown, he turns and heads back into the yard, passing Sam and Gilly on his way. Sam lifts his diminutive namesake onto the nearest wagon and kisses him on the forehead. Gilly, I have something for you. Sam hands Gilly a parcel. She folds back the cloth to reveal the hilt of Heartsbane, the Tarly family Valyrian steel. Your father's sword? Sam, you're going to need this. I have a sword made of dragon glass now. That's going to be much more useful. Besides, it's far too heavy for me. If anything should happen... Sam! Listen to me. If anything should happen, return this to my father and tell him that you stole it back from me. 
He'll be so grateful to have it. I'm sure Mother can convince him to let you and little Sam stay at Horn Hill. Or if you'd prefer, sell it and make a life for yourself somewhere else. Somewhere nice. We will sell it. And then we'll make that choice together, as a family. Gilly kisses Sam. It feels like I'm always saying goodbye, but I never seem to get any better at it. Missandei stands by the bed, folding a pile of Daenerys's clothing. Grey Worm strides with purpose through the open door. You are still packing? Come, the wagons are leaving. These belong to Daenerys. I don't need to pack. I do not understand. I have decided to remain at Winterfell. You cannot. Excuse me? It is too dangerous. Too dangerous for me, but not for you. Yes, I am unsullied. I am great soldier. You are no soldier. You cannot fight. I will serve as a signalman. I've already spoken with Lord Tyrion. And he permitted this? I asked Lord Tyrion for suggestions on how I might contribute. I did not ask his permission. Because Lord Tyrion is not my master. And neither are you. Miss Sunday, please, I... Torganuda, listen to me. For a long time, our lives were not our own. The masters controlled our actions, and so they controlled not just what we did, but who we were. Being free after experiencing slavery, it makes you recognise every single choice you make is important, because it defines who you are as a person. Every day, I move further away from my master, because every day I get to make a thousand new choices. I serve Daenerys because I choose to. I'm here at Winterfell because I choose to be here. And I'm staying here because I get to choose that too. These are all choices that I have made. Choices I am proud to have made. I think I understand. If you did not make these choices, you would not be Miss Sunday of Nars. You would not be the woman I love. Loving you is the only thing in my life I didn't choose. That happened all on its own. Promise me you will be careful. If anything happened... Miss Sunday kisses Grey Worm passionately. They fall back on the bed, all Miss Sunday's folding undone in a moment. Bran stands atop a mountain of ice, looking down on a vast plateau stretching away towards the sea. Set within the shadows of the mountain range, a giant palace of ice looms over the landscape, the ornate spires of its many towers scraping the grey-black canopy of storm clouds overhead. Despite the cloud cover, the palace somehow glistens in the perpetual gloom, streaks of blue and green twisting within its walls, like prisms of light trapped inside a piece of fine crystal. Nothing moves in this land of the dead. Bran furrows his brow in confusion. Why am I back here? I've seen this before. As though in answer, the doors of the palace open and a dozen white walkers emerge from within. They stand still as stone on the steps, their heads tilted skyward. Bran gradually becomes aware of a persistent moaning sound from just beyond the ledge on which he stands. Traversing around the mountain's face, he finds himself on the lip of an enormous crevasse. 
Far below, between the two walls of the great schism in the rock, a vast host of the undead lays in wait. The dreadful realization batters Bran like an ice-cold gale. This army of whites can see onto the plateau while remaining hidden from view of anyone on the plateau itself. As the dragon's shriek echoes across the ring of mountains and across the plain of ice, the white walkers slowly turn away and return to the palace. A moment later, Drogon and Rhaegel descend from the skies and land on the plateau. Bran watches as Daenerys and Jon climb down from their mounts and begin their approach towards the ice palace. They know they're coming. It's an ambush. Bran scrambles down the face of the mountain, tumbling haphazardly and landing with a heavy crunch on the ice below. He hauls himself to his feet and races after Jon and Daenerys. Jon, stop! Jon actually hesitates on the threshold, his foot upon the bottom step, and looks back in Bran's direction. Daenerys mouths something, and Jon replies, their words blowing away on the arctic winds. They turn towards the palace. No, Jon! Again, Jon and Daenerys stop and turn in Bran's direction. Bran allows himself a flicker of hope. He can still stop this. Jon, don't go in there! Jon and Daenerys turn and enter the gaping mouth of the palace. The doors begin to swing shut. No, Jon, Jon! Yara and Theon stand together, regarding Bran under his pile of furs, his eyes misted and unseeing. It's time to move him to the wagons, Theon. Just give him a few more minutes. We have no idea what we might be interrupting when we separate him from that tree. Yara nods her reluctant assent. She begins to dance from foot to foot. How are you not a block of ice right now? I suppose the cold just doesn't have the same bite after nine years of living in the north. It's not too late to change your mind. You don't owe the Starks anything, you know. I've made my choice, Yara. I'm staying. Yara studies her brother's face. And it is your choice and no one else's? Bran didn't ask me to stay, if that's what you're asking. Pretty much the opposite, actually. After a while, Ramsay Bolton didn't have to ask you for anything, either. That was different. I was afraid of Ramsay. Whether they're bonds of love or bonds of fear, a chain is still a chain, Theon. If you can't walk away because something's tethering you in place... Stop! No! Don't go in there! Theon rushes to Bran's side. Yara watches as he kneels down and wraps Bran up in a bear hug pinioning his thrashing arms by his side protectively. Bran? Bran? Bran's eyes demist, and he sits up with a sharp intake of breath. Theon, you were screaming. I thought you were in danger. Bran's eyes are wild. He grabs Theon's arm and squeezes it tight. I have to go back, Theon. I need to help them. Help who? What did you see? I saw John and Daenerys. They're off in the Palace of Ice, or... Bran's face clouds over with confusion. Or they were there, or maybe they're going to be there. Maybe I can still warn them. There's no time. The wagons are leaving for White Harbor. I need the Weirwood Tree. I can't see everything I need to without it. We can't stay here. The Night King's army will be here before morning. I sent them into an ambush, Theon. Please. I have to go back. Please, Theon.
The line of wagons waits. Sansa arrives from the yard and takes the reins of her horse from a waiting groom. Walcan approaches from down the line. Everything is ready for your departure, my lady. Sansa looks back at Winterfell, clearly undecided. Just as she's about to mount her horse, a Stark soldier approaches. Apologies, my lady. What is it? We're running short of cloth for the trebuchet, my lady. The stones won't take fire without it. Sansa considers a moment, then hands the reins of her horse back to the groom. Hold them a while longer. I'll be back. Welcome nods, and Sansa returns to Winterfell. Sansa throws open the doors of her wardrobe. She reaches in and fingers the fine stitching on her favourite dress and pulls it from the wardrobe. Holding it up to her neckline, she considers herself in the floor-length mirror, admiring the way the dress plumes elegantly in the air as she twists her hips. Recovering herself, Sansa returns the dress to the wardrobe. She reaches in and transfers the entire contents to the bed. She gathers the dresses into one large pile and moves to carry them away when her eyes settle on a large wooden chest pushed against the far wall. Sansa lays her hands on the chest, resting her fingertips on the weathered carving of a leaping trout painted in silver against a faded turquoise finish. Inside, the clothes belonging to her mother, Catelyn. Sansa feels her vision blurring as a faint echo of her mother's smell rises from the fabric. Moving quickly, lest her resolve weaken once more, Sansa reaches both hands into her mother's chest. Sansa drops the pile of dresses, hers and her mother's both, onto the ground beside the trebuchet. Will this suffice? I believe so, my lady. Thank you, my lady. Sansa looks around her, searching for another problem to delay her departure, but everything looks to be running smoothly. Sighing, she crosses to the stables. Okay, I'm ready to go. The groom disappears into the stables to fetch Sansa's horse. Yara approaches. What is it? It's probably best you see for yourself. He can't just lie here in the middle of a battle. Sansa stands beside Theon and Yara, looking down at Bran lying on the roots of the weirwood. Around them, a collection of sawed-off stumps, where just yesterday a dense copse of trees stood. He said he can't leave the weirwood. He has no choice in the matter. Put him on a wagon. I can't do that, Sansa. I gave him my word. I am the Lady of Winterfell, and he is my brother. If you refuse to do as I say, I have plenty of guards that will. Now hurry, they're ready to leave. Sansa turns away, believing the matter closed. He said John was in danger. He said he saw John and Daenerys in a palace of ice. He said he sent them into an ambush and that he had to go back and warn them. We have to let him try, Sansa. It's not safe for him here, Theon. I'll stay with him. I promised him I would. Broke his trust once, Sansa. I won't do it again. Sansa looks from Theon to her brother and back again. She takes in the Godswood and Winterfell beyond. Lady Greyjoy, I'm trusting you with the command of the convoy. You're not coming with us. Brown staying? Then so am I. Sansa is making her way across the yard, 
when Arya falls into step beside her. Why are you still here? Bran can't leave the Godswood, and I can't leave Bran. You're not going to try and convince me to leave? You've spent the last three years a prisoner to terrible men. If anyone has earned the right to decide for themselves where they go and when, it's you. Sansa stops and looks at her sister, legitimately touched. Besides, I'm honestly not sure how much safer you'd be under Yara Greyjoy's protection. I couldn't refuse to send our women and children with her after Daenerys accepted for hers in front of everyone. We have to keep the pretense that we're all the best of friends. For now, at least. Yara Greyjoy is Daenerys's woman. We can't trust her. No, but she's Theon's sister, and I trust Theon. So did Rob. Theon's not the same person he was then. Besides, I thought you liked Yara. I've liked plenty of people that can't be trusted. Put your back into it, you big girl's blouse. Beric, Gendry and the Hound work with a team of Northmen to pull stones from the walls of the kitchens and stack them on a cart. They stop to watch with amusement as Maester Walken attempts in vain to assert his authority as foreman over Toru and Yano at the entrance to the crypt. Come on, let's get to it, shall we? The Dothraki stare at him blankly. Come on. Walken patronizingly mimes, stacking the stones. Walken gawps uncomprehendingly. He spots Jorah crossing the yard and calls out in relief. Ah, Sir Jorah, I wonder if you wouldn't mind translating. I seem to be having difficulty making myself understood to these people. Toru would like to kill you for speaking to them with such disrespect. Yano would also like to kill you, but does not want to offend Jon Snow's sister. Walken turns white with fear. Yano sighs and pantomimes laying mortar. Oh, yes, I understand. You need a, a bonding agent. Hmm. Okay, then. Wait right here. I believe we have just the thing. The Dothraki watch with disdain as Walken scurries away. I'm afraid not. Lady Stark would notice his absence sooner or later. Walken opens the door to the storage shed and fusses about in the darkness. A hand shoots out and covers Walken's mouth while another wields a knife to slit open his throat. Walken's unseen assailant drags the maester's lifeless body into the shadows. Gendry works at his forge. Beside him, the hound sorts idly through a pile of dragonglass swords, testing the weight of each one that takes his fancy, then tossing them back onto the pile. Arya steps stealthily into the room. She watches Gendry work, unnoticed. Not saying I'm a believer or anything. I'm just saying it, it can't all be bullshit. 
How do you explain him coming back from the dead so many times if there isn't at least some truth to the whole Red God thing? I don't try to explain it, and neither should you. Life's too fucking short and getting shorter by the hour. Leave it to the mad fuckers like Beric. It's all they bloody do is explain whether anybody wants to hear it or not. Arya steps out of the shadows. The hound sneers at the sight of her. I should have known. A room full of things you can kill people with would draw you in like a fly to shit. Arya is unimpressed with the hound's bark and patiently waits for him to be done. You made it back to Winterfell after all then. Is it everything you remembered it to be? It's more crowded than it was. <laughs> the little lady doesn't like dirty commoners making her daddy's castle look untidy, is that it? Eva B. The hound looks with surprise at Gendry, then at Arya, then back to Gendry, the gears in his head clearly turning. <laughs> You've got to be fucking joking. She'll eat you alive. He walks to the door, but pauses to offer Gendry a piece of advice. I don't care how fucking short life is. If you've got any senses at all, you'll get away from her faster than you ran to fucking Eastwatch. I don't need you to protect me, you know. I wasn't planning to. If you call my bluff, you were on your own. Arya grins and strolls through the forge towards Gendry, admiring the various piles of weapons lying throughout. She picks up a short sword with a dragonglass blade, begins to twirl it expertly. John told me you went north of the wall, fought the dead. Not something I'm looking forward to doing again. Arya stops her routine and faces him. You know what's coming then, and you know what we have here. Be honest with me. Do you think we can win? Arya watches Gendry's face intently as he tries his best to discern if Arya wants the cold hard truth or a reassuring lie. I'm just a smithy, Arya. What do I know about tactics or strategies, or how to win a battle? You're better off asking your brother, the one that used to be king. Although the one that can see into the future probably wouldn't be a bad idea either. Arya can recognize a liar when she sees one, and what she saw in Gendry's eyes had too sobering an effect to allow for his attempt at levity. Arya lays the short sword on the workbench, and appears to lose herself in introspection for a moment. You didn't come down here just to ask us that, did you? Arya takes a step closer to Gendry, studying his face. Gendry shifts uncomfortably. What are you doing? Did you think about me? Since the last time we saw each other? Y yeah. Arya smiles. She turns and walks for the door, without waiting to confirm that Gendry will follow. Come on, I'll show you something. Arya and Gendry cross the newly raised bridge connecting the broken tower to the battlements and climb the fresh-cut ladder mounted on the tower's exterior. The rubble of the collapsed roof that gave the broken tower its name has finally been removed and a sturdy wooden platform erected in its place. Are you going to tell me what we're doing here? This could be the last sunset we ever see. I wanted to share it with someone. Arya trails off her final word unspoken. As they look out across the northern landscape, the sun slowly begins to sink beyond the horizon. No matter how hard I try, I can't seem to picture what's coming next. I can't see a future beyond tonight. You can't give up hope. 
You have to believe we can win. That's not what I mean. In the past, it's never mattered whether it was this king or that queen that sat on the throne. Nothing ever changes with people like me. Nothing ever gets any better. But that can't be true this time, can it? If we survive the Night King, if we overthrow Cersei, things have to be different. I believe it, right down to my bones, but I can't imagine what's going to look like. I've had this list in my head for so long. It's all I've thought about, all I've been living towards. It's only now, when I realise I might never get the chance to finish my list, that I've actually tried to look beyond the end of it. What do you see? Nothing. I try and see myself as something else. Someone else. Someone with a different purpose besides... Arya cuts herself off. Gendry discreetly turns away and recommits his attention to the setting sun. Thank you for this. I'm glad I got to see it. Arya chews her lip. Would you describe me as emotionless? Angry is an emotion. Arya punches Gendry on the arm. Shut up. I'm serious. You've got every right to be angry. Nobody gets to tell you you don't. There can be room in life for other things too, though. Like what things? Oh, I, I don't know. Anything. Um, Books, horse riding, music... Uh, friends... Lovers? I've heard painting can, can be very relaxing too. I want... Arya pounces, cutting Gendry off with a kiss. I might die tomorrow. I want to know what it's like before I do. No pressure then. They kiss and tumble to the floor in one another's arms. Daenerys rides Drogon high above the clouds, Jon sitting atop Rhaegal, 200 feet below. Daenerys watches as Jon dives Rhaegal beneath the clouds, then angles Drogon to follow. Jon continues Rhaegal's descent until the dragon's shadow rushes over the snow-covered ground below. He looks over his shoulder, confirms for himself that Daenerys is still with him. Jon holds his breath as Rhaegal approaches Castle Black, the ramshackle fort as small as a child's wooden toy from Jon's elevation. The dragon's speed is such that the great thickness of the wall, so indomitable from the ground, is already behind them before Jon has time to truly appreciate the ease with which he just traversed the barrier that stood inviolate for 8,000 years. The vast, empty expanse stretches away to the farthest horizon, the great white void, all that lies before them. Nothing ahead but the desolate dominion of the Night King, and the secrets hidden within. The preceding podcast was entirely a work of fan fiction. It was unofficial, unaffiliated, and unauthorised. Neither the podcast, nor any individual involved in its production, 
is now, nor has ever been, in any way associated with HBO, Game of Thrones, George R. R. Martin, or the Song of Ice and Fire book series. The podcast was, is now, and shall always be, entirely without profit. Neither the podcast directly, nor its makers indirectly, generate or receive any form of revenue or financial restitution that might otherwise accrue to the rightful copyright holders. The preceding podcast was entirely a work of fan fiction. We hope you enjoyed it.